Hello and welcome back to Rocket Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Shane McCarthy. Um, Shane has a really interesting journey into entrepreneurship uh, where he transitioned from international finance uh, to pursuing his passion for Irish whiskey and a love for his homeland. He grew up in uh, Northern Ireland in Belfast. And what he's done by founding Ireland Craft Beverages is to coin terms like dram in a can and he's launched the Two Stacks whiskey brand that uh, has a purpose to revitalize consumers' relationship with Irish whiskies and to, to kind of revitalize the whole industry. He's bringing together these micro distilleries onto one platform and making them accessible on a global market. So he's, he's really taken on a big challenge, but he's truly passionate. I love his growth mindset. Uh, from the very first moment I met him in Shoreditch, um, I knew that uh, he was pretty special. So really delighted to have him on the show this morning. And welcome, Shane. Uh, it's great to have you here. It's really nice to have you on board. I think to kind of, before we kind of dig, dig into the business side, it'd be really interesting for our listeners to kind of get a flavor of uh, your upbringing and, and kind of your, I guess, your journey um, through to entrepreneurship. So why don't we start right, you know, maybe talk about your first entrepreneurial experience, maybe. But yeah, right back to, you know, where did you grow up? And if there's any yeah. people in your life that kind of, um, you know, made a big impact on you. Yes, yeah, so just kind of go right back to when you were younger. That'd be really great. Yeah. No, absolutely, James, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, delighted to be on Rockford, and that's a great question. It's actually a question I've never been asked um, through my journey going back to day one, and um, probably a very good question. But grew up in Northern Ireland, County Down, and um, went to school in, in Newry. Yep, I suppose through school I was uh, quite academic. Actually loved the, the sciences. Love the, the kind of numbers game, mathematics, physics. And then that brought me in to go to University at Queen's in Belfast, uh, where I studied finance, uh, of a bachelor's of science in finance. And I think that was really, you know, pushing the mind into you're good at certain things and what should you do with your career. So that to me was, I actually wanted to be a structural engineer. Um, so I studied physics, mathematics, and accountancy. And okay. then that, <laughs> and then that, that led me to finance and, and one thing led to another is actually 2007 when we had the biggest global financial crisis was when I had to go and find a finance job so uh, <laughs> yeah I graduated and um, came out of Queen's um, you know with a bit of an idea uh, or a bit more of an idea of the, the kind of financial world and within the degree you had to do a one-year placement so I'd already had little bit of work experience within the kind of securities and finance world um, and uh, yeah I pushed pretty hard I suppose I was always pretty determined to to push the boundaries of, of uh, you know who I was and, and you know what what, what I can achieve um, and I suppose looking back on the how and why um, I don't know I was pretty competitive growing up in sports and sometimes you know it's the mindset but then mm-hmm. Even when, when uh, you know, there was no opportunity in finance, uh, you know, I kind of stuck with my guns and remember being in my room for three months, applying for jobs constantly, constantly, constantly. I think I was the first out of our graduation class to actually get a job okay. uh, with, with Merrill Lynch, who had, had a hiring freeze for like two years. Um, so I was the first year employee and, and um, the job was with, actually in um, kind of quantitative econometrics where it's like... Uh, Six Sigma, so change management. Mm. Um, so I moved into that, which really, I believe, opened up my boundaries into 
never really looking at things as they should be. Like change management is a very interesting space of people hate change, uh, even though it happens all the time. And um, coming out of finance, uh, there was modules in this area of econometrics where you take real world scenarios and you quantify them. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about them statistically and then how you can make them better. And that is how a lot of operation processes work. So from Merrill Lynch, I suppose that was my start of my finance career and kind of getting even into numbers and analytics. Um, but there was always this yearning of not being fulfilled. And always a bigger world out there. And, uh, you know, London and New York were always the center of finance. But for me, having that background, a little bit of work experience, I decided to travel the world. So I went to Australia and worked for JP Morgan in securities lending. And then I moved to New Zealand, worked in wealth management. Um, absolutely loved these countries, loved the culture. That mm. in itself was like a blueprint into where I was probably supposed to be going. You know, a lot of the time I would always try and follow my intuition. Um, you know, not I would try and read a lot and by other people done things, but always kind of following, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done with this country now. Um, I think it's time to move on. Yeah. So while I was in New Zealand, I had the opportunity to stay there. But I also knew that I wanted to go to Wall Street. I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to make a go of this. So, you know, I was still in my mid-20s and I just went over on a holiday visa to kind of hedge my risks. I got a Canadian visa in case I didn't get a job. Uh, so I went over, worked in the bar world. <clears throat> you know, I had some friends in New York, kind of done Back to square one, you know, stayed with them in their store room and uh, in the middle of Queens. And <laughs> really, really, really hustled to try and get that opportunity. And even with, you know, five years experience, I had to do an internship um, in a very competitive, it was, you know, it was in the world of commodities trading. But incredibly, incredible experience, you know, surrounded by very intelligent people. Uh, but I also still had to run the bar jobs to make that extra bit of cash because New York is such a, consumable city <laughs> and if it was with that, that yeah like it was, yeah i would be honest that james that what kind of happened i think was coming back home and back to some friends and i work with as my business partners and you get to that end goal and you realize wow you know um it really isn't about uh, where you thought you know, where you thought you wanted to go and um, you got there and you, you actually realized that this isn't wanted to be that um, the people that are in these industries are certain actors and certain it takes a certain personality to be at the top of that game you have to be pretty ruthless you have to be pretty cutthroat um and yeah that yearning of unfulfillment was still there but that while i was working in the world of the bar trade you know i was and also from traveling the world um really Again and again, kept coming up with the concept that you know, the true taste of Ireland hasn't been shown anymore. There's a new generation, there's so much beautiful produce being made in Ireland, and there's only really one or two big commercial brands that are being pushed out across the world, you know, that, that people are very familiar with. And Ireland was being represented as a kind of you know, your, your Guinness and Anchor Scout. And uh, for me, I wanted to build an export platform to um, allow all these artisanal craft producers 
to be able to send their products to other places around the world the same way you know that you can buy beautiful uh, British produce you know it's very famous yeah. around the world you know the, the British flag and, and, and that stamp um, so that that was the beginning of starting the business plan about eight years ago which became Ireland which is uh, and it was myself and business partner Liam Rogan that set it up um, and it just became a learning curve from day one so Hopefully that gives you a bit of an idea of yeah. the how and why to where, where I am today. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting just kind of observing what you were talking about. Um, you know, early on you you kind of mix psych the psychology. Sorry, I've got my my rescue puppy here that's um probably gonna start barking in a second. Um mixing so, the psychology with the finance, so the econometric stuff at Merrill Lynch with the finance, your love for numbers. Um, and then I guess where you ended up was, you know, you're bringing where your heart is, I guess your home island, um, you're, you know, you've kind of um, kind of fulfilling that dream, which is kind of the next chapter. I'm just curious, you're, where, where, do you do you have any idea of where your drive comes from? Do you think um, a part of it is growing up in Belfast? Um, is there any, um, I mean, what, what do you think, what's yeah. the difference in Belfast and you know, compared to the other cities? Obviously, you've spent a lot of time in London. That's where we met. I think so, James. Yeah, I, I, I think um, certainly the, I spent summers in America with a lot of friends, very good friends, and I'm friends with today. And they kind of always say, "Oh, you know, people out north are, are covered in different cloth." You know, they and <clears throat> I believe that when any kind of oppression happens or people are held in the sturdy um, for a certain period of time, they tend to push themselves harder. Um, and not just in Northern Ireland. You know, you look at certain places around the world that um, have been held back. You know, it was in the 70s and 80s, a lot of one side of the community weren't, weren't given an opportunity to go to college, weren't given an opportunity to actually um, make something of their lives. And, and um, I think when they're given it, they kind of grab it with both hands. Um, and obviously you had the troubles here during the 80s um, and the 90s. So, you know, my parents, um, grandparents um, all would have lived very well rooted very different upbringings and you would have heard about that probably secondary or subconsciously as you grew up and then when you were offered you know to go to these grammar schools and university and then you realize they're the first grandson to actually do that or to follow that then there's a sense of pride but there's also probably that sense of you know this is a good opportunity here and uh grab it with both hands so yeah, I've never looked at it that way. I suppose to answer the question, that is probably a big part of where that inner drive maybe comes from and, and uh, you know, that kind of fearless, just give it a go. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think Not worry too much about it. <laughs> you know, just yeah, yeah. yeah and <laughs> knows, you know, follow your intuition, you know, yeah. knowing when something... It's also not kind of knowing when the season's over. Like you talked about your time in New Zealand, you know, you loved it, but then you were ready to kind of take the next step um yeah. you know and then it's uh it is kind of interesting isn't it i mean i've always wondered you know even my own personal journey you know the the, the drive piece so what was the root of it you know why you know like my 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 old man is very i don't know he's um he seems very content and has quite a simple life um he's you know he really values a lot of time and you know he doesn't understand why i'm always hustling and striving and he doesn't get it at all <laughs> um but part of me is I, I don't know i mean he's he's a great gardener 
Um, he's always t- tilling his garden and, you know, um, and there's not really much different, you know, when you're in like the, the life of an entrepreneur, you're always creating, building, you know, whether it's a legal framework or whether it's a product or a brand, that's kind of, yeah. I mean, I, the, the way I've kind of come, to, sorry, it's just, that's my garden. <laughs> you can't see it half the time. Um, so that's okay. Yeah. It's actually a very good analogy that, you know, you, that, and I, I've noticed even a lot of people around me that you'd see as mentors or maybe um, what you would see is living a, lived a, quite a successful life, but they do tend to move into garden and they get quite, uh, you know, they, they, they pride themselves on their daily work. And I think that's inherent within uh, humans, you know, to actually want to build and to want to go out every day and wake up. And the big shift for me, I noticed, was getting up every day at like 6 a.m. and I'm literally jumping out of bed, not having to work for anyone and actually being excited to go and embrace the day, as, as you might say. Or, yep. you know, maybe that's a bit corny, but honestly, there's this, you know, I remember distinctly, like, especially after bank holidays and like Easter where you'd be out with friends and you knew that you had to go in at 8 a.m. into like a really sterile like desk environment. Yeah. You're like, oh, and you'd have to scrape yourself out of bed, you know. <laughs> but, and then it, it, it was fascinating. But, and then even going back to, you know, I would always try and relate to, I remember trying to make the decision if I should leave New Zealand because I thought it was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever been. And I, I just started putting it into numbers and, and, and you know, I, I, I done like a value chain on, on what, what I thought was what I held most value and, and yes and no and I'm going to stick matrix and then it came out like 51% New York and 49% and then I was like, right, done, there's the decision. <laughs> Brilliant, that's the quantitative uh, piece of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, just so it wasn't too, uh, it wasn't too like on a whim. Um, but yeah, to be honest as well, uh, there was a bit of side hustle, you know. I when I was in New York, I, I moved into fintech um, with a company called Infusion. Learned a lot with them, and, and moved over to London with them while I was writing my business plan. Because for me, you aren't in business, and you can't just walk back to the door and say, "Give me half a million pound. I want to do this idea." You know, so people are just going to laugh at you. So, um, but I knew where there's a will, there's a way, and um, so I, you know, I worked out. How much savings do I need for six months to really go at this full time? You know, and how do I, and how do you make your first sale? And then how does, and I read so many business books. And then it really is a matter of just the D day of completely personal career world after doing it for almost eight to 10 years is gut wrenching. And I think that's what stops most people moving into working for themselves. When you get comfortable and you have a salary, to move away from that is probably the most difficult decision. I have so, even now to this day, I have so many good friends, incredibly intelligent guys who are comfortable in finance, but said the same thing, you know, I'm only going to do this for another few years. I'm only going to, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know yourself, James. And it is so difficult. Like that, that is the part that is probably the most difficult for me. To yeah. Answer. And it's, it's funny because I mean, a, lo- a lot of, I mean, it's obviously there's lots of really good reasons why not to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, so yeah, but to, to actually make that jump, make that leap, when when the buck stops with you, that that's why you've got to jump out of bed at six in the morning because you've got to survive, right? You've got to make it work. Um, 
Yeah. And actually, I think um, it's really interesting. Like, a lot of us put our security in, whether it's, you know, material things or whether it's the, you know, the, the stability, the stable income or whatever it is. But, but it is quite exhilarating, you know, um, I think, to you know, take that plunge. But it's, it's not without its risks. And you do have to, you know, there, there is a certain amount of sacrifice. You know, there's no guarantees, right? So you can, you can no guarantees. get it wrong. Incredible, incredible amount of sacrifice. Like, especially living in London at the time and, you know, as I did for uh, another five, five to six years, um, your lifestyle goes, you know, drastically changes or you're like really budgeting every month. You know, some months you're not really paying yourself or well, you should, a lot of months you're not really paying yourself, but you're going after them. So you're like, going after uh, it. Yeah. yeah. And so then you realize how much there is out there and how much opportunity there is out there and how you can make it Possible. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it, it's very, it's very refreshing um, talking to you about this. So, um, so, so Ireland craft beverages. So you yeah. touched on it a minute ago. So after your world of finance and you know your hustle and trying these yeah. different things, um, you then basically turned that experience. You then moved towards your passion, and part of it was you know your your home country of Ireland, um, yeah. and then to really bring out you, you talked about some of the you know the big brands like guinness the stouts and some of the main you know whiskey yeah whiskey brands like Je- jemison and and, and uh, you know for me understanding positive real economics and global economics very deep in commodities trading so i knew quite a bit on how global trade worked mm. i also realized how the trickle economics worked and you know, when people buy things, and a lot of the money actually trickles back to one to two large corporations. Mm. So for me, to the real true sense of fulfillment was almost creating a new local economy, you know, and it's become bigger and bigger the last few years, but eight years ago, we were really drumming home support local because it, it goes back into the economy. And if you're buying local independent goods around the world, it actually gives straight back to Ireland. Whereas, you know, you might be selling millions of pints of Guinnesses around the world, but they, they hire a hundred people in the middle of Dublin, and you know, a bit of logistics. But this is really interesting point that people, I think, overlook. And um, there is way more opportunity for a country to support a hundred craft breweries than in one big brewery. It actually supports the whole of the room, and you would understand this, James, as much as anyone, the, the the big argument from these companies is that you know we we create X amount of jobs and unemployment, but it all goes to you know uh, well Guinness is owned by Diageo, which is a, a, a UK PLC. Uh, Jameson is Pernod Card, which is a French PLC. So to really shout about you know being an Irish brand, <laughs> uh, fundamentally the the, the economics. Don't work in that way and that's something that consumers don't really are overlook and i think that's what marketing doesn't think but that was something for me you know i think that we had a strong foot to stand on where we said this is actually 100 an independent it's authentic and it comes from rural western ireland uh, and for us it was working with all these new uh, a lot of them were family-run businesses yeah you know, husband and wife and Real, real passionate people that really cared. And um, for us to be able to come in and say, right, we've got an export platform and we're going to consolidate the best of Ireland. Mm. We're going to be a one-stop shop. So Brilliant. we would go to big importers around the world and they, they would get excited and say, well, you're telling me I can get 10 incredible Irish brands and you're, you know, 
just through you and you're going to organize the container. And we opened up, you know, there's the famous story where we opened up from Belfast to Beirut, they called it Never Lebanon. Unfortunately, that's not now after um, some uh, some events that have happened in Lebanon, but mm. they were seeing a really great purple patch in the floors with like 10 suppliers for St. Patrick's Day. And it was such a beautiful kind of homecoming between two cities that had it pretty difficult. Okay. And the friendships that we made there, oh, wow. um, it was really incredible. So that's some of the, I suppose, some of the kind of hurdles that we've overcome and, and um, set up and achieved in the last few years. Yeah, I think um, you, t- you touched on a really good point, and I guess this is really the heart of your brand. I think keeping, you know, more household spend um, with local and independent businesses. Um, I, actually, I mean, coincidentally, I just wrote a, an article in London Life last week about what Flexi's doing, and that's basically, you know, championing these independent British brands, in, in our case, independent British brands. Um, and I guess my, my quite crude research, um, <laughs> might need to verify this, but... Um, I picked up um, some fact that, you know, for every pound you spend on a local independent business, um, 50 to 70p stays within that local economy versus 5p if it's, you know, with a big corporate, um, you know. That's that's exactly the point I'm getting at, James. And and, um, people don't realize these bigger corporations that are becoming bigger and bigger have so much more muscle. Number one, to me, it monopolizes, like, I always say, you know, monopolization kills innovation. And you lose so much choice and creativity within an industry. And I know they obviously have regulators, and I actually think it's gotten worse and worse. Um, you know, they have anti-competitive regulators. You know, you just need to look at the biggest corporations in the world that haven't been stopped. You know, you've had everything from airlines being allowed to consolidate to Airbnb and Stabnet are being allowed to consolidate. Mm-hmm. Like, if there was fair competition out there, regulation would not allow this because it well, I think it does correct itself down the line. At some stage, it has to because um, they, they just get too big and too something. But at that size, it's different. But it sounds like if you're if you're if you're creating a platform where these these craft small batch, you know, runs of high quality product because they're you know they're like you said they're owned by families or they're small they're very smallly you know family operated businesses or I, I don't know how you describe it but they're they're basically small boutique operators yeah. or distilleries they're able to produce a very high quality product and there's only a finite amount that they can produce uh, and yeah. and actually a lot of these little businesses are very happy with right you know I can do 10,000 or I can do a thousand of yeah. these that's it yeah, yeah. you know I'm I'm happy I'm yeah. you know it, I have enough to to have a yeah. good life and um, I think that's yeah, that that that's it, James. It, like do you need more is the question. Do you really, you know, you you kind of go back and go, well, you know, people always think bigger is better and scale up and throw money at it and grow. And you know, I've seen it time and time and time again. And I do think that there is a breaking point and there is a you know, <laughs> why do you need more? Why do you need to be bigger? You know, if, if it's a profitable business and you're you're hiring people locally. Your quality is good, and you're happy. You're not overstressed. You're not overworked. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there is a really nice equilibrium that can be had in that world. Yeah, and you being a consolidator, there, there'll always be opportunity for these other little niche little businesses to pop up. So, 
yeah. you know, and, and it's great to have alternatives, isn't it? Because, I mean, I know that just my own shopping habits, um, they've, they've changed a lot over the last few years. Um, you know, an example would be that, um, you know, I know our, our meat consumption has gone down as a family, probably by about 80%. But when we yeah, do well. buy meat, we'd rather buy meat from the local farm shop or, you know, some high quality you know, I mean, never did I think I'd ever spend 17 quid on a chicken, for example, <laughs> but actually it's better quality and we yeah. eat less and actually we're, we're better off for it. It's healthier. Um, but by the same token, um, I would rather have, I mean, okay, I'm probably not the best candidate because I've been teetotal for nine years now, um, but I do love whiskey. And when I do fall off the wagon, I think <laughs> your products would be <laughs> awesome because it's that high quality. Don't mind spending a bit more. Maybe I don't have to spend more. Maybe there's no, a economy there's maybe it's the same price. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you're getting better quality. And actually, you're doing, you know, you're doing good with your wallet. It's, a, it's that, you know, wherever you are in the world, if you can support a local community somewhere in the world, um, you know, you're going to be really helping create that, those sustainable yeah, communities. You're not ripping the heart out of communities. And yeah, it's different, isn't it? I, it, is, it is, and I, I think it's even happening more and more. I was uh, reading this week how um, the European Union are trying to, you know, um, put more uh, what they call GI, geographical identification um, or protection around, you know, everything from Donegal wool or, you know, uh, pottery, uh, British pottery, you know, these really artisanal um, industries that don't really... Get protected, you know, they're copycatted in other parts of the world, and fraud happens as well a lot. So, mm. you know, it's great that these industries are all around us, but you know, at the same time, as you said, if you are across the world, there people locally are, are, are ripping off these, these kind of uh, craftsmanships as well. So, it's good to see that the likes of the EU are, are stepping in and saying you needed a GI um, to actually produce these products. So the same way, you know, champagne and whiskey, um, uh, that, that just gives them way more um, of a backing to, uh, you know, go out into global space and not really fear that the product's going to be ripped off at a cheaper price point and not really done correctly. Um, yeah, that's, that's it's definitely, um, it's definitely, uh, I suppose, Sometimes it's not really the product, it's more the, uh, the support, as you're saying, you know, to come back to what you're supporting is, is more this yeah. end than actually buying. Yeah, I think this would be a good segue to introduce our sponsor, Flexi. I'd like to take a moment uh, to introduce you to our amazing sponsor, Flexi. These days, we have multiple subscriptions from streaming services to gift boxes and much more. Discover Flexi's unique subscription marketplace sourced from independent British brands, from organic beauty products, cocktail kits, and responsibly sourced coffee to plant-based meals, gift boxes, and much more. Whatever your passion, look forward to a regular box of joy delivered straight to your door. All easy to pause, cancel, or resume in a tap or two from one single dashboard. So give Flexi a try. It's free to download from the App Store, or head over to www flexiapp.uk that's f-l-e-x-y-a-p-p.uk now back to our guest i think um there, there is a it seems to be there is a shift in um i think people are becoming more mindful well certainly a, a, there's certainly a, there is a percentage of people that are becoming more mindful about where they shop um and i think so there is a movement there isn't it so it sounds like you, you know you're 
it's a really exciting time for island craft beverages um and yeah your two stacks whiskey and you know it's it's a really exciting time another just thought that came to me so you know there's because of this movement the the eco resorts and this you know there is um you know people are become a bit more conscious about you know their impact on on the environment and everything you wonder whether if there isn't if there are areas or businesses that have these eco you know they they brand themselves eco friendly you wonder whether because your product is actually doing better for you know you're doing good in the world and you know helping these little guys you be great to convince them to not buy the blockbuster beverages you know and just shop micro batch and then and then that way they can you know they can pursue their b corp or whatever whatever it is um because they're actually doing more good i mean i'm just thinking that's that might be another yeah you thought about it but i think uh at the end of the day the consumer drives everything you know as much as you person tell the story and, and kind of lay out the facts of you know how good it can be at the end of the day a lot of mass consumers buy on price point and convenience and mm-hmm. their ease of being able to get it. You know, where do they buy their food? Is it on in Waitrose or is it in X supermarket? Okay, I'm probably going to buy my wine there and my water there and my beer there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then the whole shift of, uh, you know, COVID obviously changed people's spending habits drastically into the supermarkets and online. And now that flip has happened really quickly again where we realize we're social human beings and everyone's going back out to being outside and going to the park. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not necessarily spending as much time in front of their laptops buying online constantly or getting deliveries because they can't go outside. So <laughs> that's been that's been a fascinating and for us, you know, just even to move on to that space, um COVID really allowed us to live in Ireland craft beverages and pivot them relationships because you know Irish whiskey is growing massively the last 10 years it's in double digit growth and you know we would be selling these fantastic brands around the world and um, a lot of these new distilleries I suppose just a different quick background you know 2005 there was only three to four distilleries now 2022 there's upwards of four distilleries so that gives you a huge array of them um, casks and yeah. Irish whiskey used to be at its pinnacle it used to be larger than the scotch believe it or not you know pre wow Pre-trade wars, World War One, where it was the whiskey of choice. Pre-prohibition, really? yeah, Irish whiskey was. Really, uh, was I had no idea. Yeah, and it, it just shows you again trade wars and how the uh, uh, you know we even it's very evident now with Russia um, that yeah. we can really swiftly cut off trade ties or pull away. And it was also the innovation of the column still as uh, Scotland really embraced that and that allowed them to create really efficient green whiskey. You know, to a colossal size. Um, and then, as you know, over the decades, they've really embraced in stock whiskey as its um, second uh, biggest um, product GDP outside of oil. So, you know, that's how big the, the whiskey, whiskey industry is for Scotland and, and for Ireland. It, you know, it's, it's grown massively. So, we wanted to really put our own stamp on it. And um, this space of kind of bonding and independent bottling would have been second nature across Ireland in, in the early 19th century and, and 20th century where um, distilleries never would have bottled their own product. They would have just sold the cask to any grocer and merchant. So all the villages would have had, you know, would have been an independent bottler. Okay. And it fell out of fa- fashion in Ireland, fell out of fashion. So 
Two Stacks Whiskey brand is, is very much uh, us putting that contemporary revival into the okay. Irish whiskey space. But like it, also, it also allows us to take all these beautiful casks and to blend them, you know, to do single cast releases, to do experimental releases, um, stuff that hasn't been done in the Irish whiskey space for over a century. So, uh, you know, you'll see behind me here these big systems. This is all brand new. Um, this right. is all cast from our um, uh, all the different relationships and distilleries that we've grown up with. So now we can actually bring it in house and we can, wow. we can create this beautiful experience for the end consumer. So yeah, COVID allowed that. And I'll tell you why it allowed us to hit pause in the business and, and the export business and be, you know, even I believe that was when I when I met you as well, James. And you know, we 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 kind of started a white label. We had our downstream beer, which was the world's first blockchain beer, and that was again to show transparency to consumers what they were supporting. It was a QR code that they could tap with their phone and could authenticate that they just were giving their money to 100% independent beer producer. Yeah. But we weren't shouting about it. You know, most of it was actually just telling the story of the beautiful craft brewery, you know, and the family behind it, the guy behind it, the recipe, yeah. the carbon footprint as well. We would say how much carbon CO2. You know, we were doing this two or three years ago, pre-QR code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Craziness, um, you know, downstream was listed across marks and statues, you know, they wanted that level of transparency. And um, that really allowed us to delve into the product development world and then to take all of this knowledge and to realize that no one is obviously buying containers anymore because nobody's allowed to move, you know, global trade really had pause. Yeah, yeah, it did, yeah. And so, so we, we kind of dug our heels in and we said, right, we're gonna, we're gonna put all of our focus into developing the two stacks you know, because okay. we've already 30 or 40%, let's bring it to 100%. And we had our US partner that really was really, really excited about it. And we wanted to come to this space with something really unique, really different. And, you know, it's actually a phenomenal journey so far. So the, so the name Two Stacks, so you talked about revival. So it's the revival of the Irish whiskey. Or is that, is that, is that, is that um, so it, it's kind of, it's tied in, James. Where did the name story. come from? So can you talk about yeah. the name? And... Two, two Stacks um, Whiskey is, uh, again, um, I suppose it's looking back at the heritage of the past. But for us, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of independent names coming back and trying to revive something from one or 200 years ago, which is great. You can lean into the past, but we've grown 200 years there's the, the world and society around it is different. So the, when we were developing the brand Two Stacks, it's actually, when you look at it, the logo, it's abstract and it's two strokes um, okay. and the Northern Star. And it, it actually represents a great Northern distillery, which had the two largest chimney stacks in Ireland. Okay. They were used, the, the chimney stacks were used to navigate boats into Ireland with the Northern Star. Um, whenever uh, seafarers were coming in. And for us, this was perfect synergy because it's where we were setting up. And for us, it's about navigating people's whiskey journey and their new whiskey journey. But it wasn't leaning in on Great Northern. It was an abstract look saying, we give kudos to what was there before, but yep. we're also looking at the steadfastness of the Northern Star and where, we're, where we want to bring Irish whiskey. That's really time. nice. That's really nice. And, yeah. and actually... It's like you're following your North Star as well. You know, you're... <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's kind of cool, actually. Even on a... Yeah. I'm just listening to you talk on a personal level. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's probably why, you know, and again, it's like, you know, sometimes when you go and you say, okay, there's a, a John Jameson brand that I want to revive, you know, you're not that person. So, you know, it's really nice putting your own take with your team onto everything because brand is person to me. And if you can't be your brand and you can't be the face of the brand, consumers are very quick to question these days. Yeah, a lot of they've got a lot of ease of access to information. So yeah, they're able to dig out very quickly. So, so for those listeners that can't obviously see Shane, because a lot of you are listening on the on the via audio, um, Shane's behind him. Is this the six thousand square foot? Um, yeah, it is yeah, indeed. Warehouse, it is. and then there's big kegs there from independent distilleries on the back there. I see. Um, so, so, and and you're in a new office. So this is an empty office because it's yeah. a little echoey. Um, but Shane's just moved into a new office. <laughs> I guess yeah. today. I don't know. Would you like me to? to yeah. You can do a little tour. Yeah, the, I, this is my first day. This. <laughs> it is. Uh, I, I forgot that. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I forgot that I'm uh, I'm tethering, but uh, you can see outside. Yeah, that's a nice space. And soon that's going to be even fuller. Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> it great. is. But um, yeah, that. no, very exciting games, and uh, this is uh, you can see the. Again, people can't really see, but there's the, the two stacks brand, and it actually is the world's first uh, straight whiskey in a can. Um, okay. in straight a whiskey in a can. Yep. And a lot of a lot of people were very cautious of, you know, it should only be out of a bottle or. <laughs> Why not? It's, it's, it's exploded. It's absolutely exploded first. We've we've sold okay. hundreds of thousands of these cans already. Really. Oh, yeah. fantastic. That's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I, I always, well, when I, the first time I met you in Shoreditch, I, yeah, this you definitely had a little spark. I thought, you know, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. I'm, I'm so yeah. pleased. Oh, it's great. It's great. And, uh, you know, even to go back through, and as I said at the very start of this podcast, you know, for me, when I was starting out my journey of uh, a, a lot of what I did was I do audio books a lot and podcasts. Uh, just like okay. this okay and if you can relate to someone going through that journey or even just a small bit that um i think that can be really really helpful you know just to, on the days that you're struggling or the days that you think that you're, you've made the wrong choice um if, when you hear the the kind of hurdles that other people have come over and people tend to see the end point a lot of the time and they don't see the eight years beforehand or the yeah. you know the kind of iceberg effect as they usually describe it um because there is a lot of hard work involved as well as you know and it's it's incredibly difficult you know you do have your sleepless nights where you're wondering about you know what's left in the the run rate of the business etc but yeah (laughs) Yeah, those um those 3 a.m pacing (laughs) around the house thinking holy moly how am i going to come up with 15 grand tomorrow (laughs) Or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I've had, it is. I've had a number of, a number of those in, yeah. in recent years. And I, yeah, it sounds like you have. That's the challenge, you know. That part we, of it, isn't it? We come out and we, you know, we didn't actually go and get any massive investment. We we done the SEIS in the UK, which was great. Yep. And that gave us a little bit of a, a starting point. But, you know, very quickly, within six months, we knew we had to be selling. We had to, you know, I'm, I'm being lean was a big part of, of kind of getting onto that business ladder, like not overdoing it, not hiring 10 people straight away or, you know, not going and building a big office, et cetera. 
think this new warehouse as well is is seen as a new employee. You know, it's it's, it's yeah. leased out for ten years. What's the cost every month? Yeah, okay, pay for itself. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, that definitely the numbers side of it is always very important, and I suppose even you know it's it's very much not just about me. The guys Liam and Donna have been a massive part of this journey as well, and Liam's a chartered accountant and. Donald is incredible, incredibly creative. Um, you met Donald as well. I met Donald, yeah. I've met him, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's uh, a big part of the, the two-stack journey in Ireland Craft Beverage. And we've been together from from the start, seven or eight years. And one thing, I hope I don't jinx it, but, you know, they said never to go into business with your good friends. Um, we, You know, we've stayed very good friends to this day. And one thing... I think I would say is you, you can really trust them. And if you go into business by yourself, um, you know, you have to do that trust uh, over the years. And, and yeah, I, I, I suppose you do see 50-50 partnerships being very difficult, but when you can bring three or four or five, you know, like hospitality where people have set up, it just adds more dynamic thinking space. Um, but, you know, um, I think it can work very well if you're working yeah. with friends that you've known for life yeah I've, I've often had this debate and, and had the same kind of um questions about you know can you work with friends I, I and i guess where i've come to i've come to the conclusion that you wouldn't go into business with all of your friends but but some friends you can um and <laughs> especially when there's a good complement of skills and That's you kind it. of have that division of responsibility i mean obviously there's going to be, always be some overlap when you're running a business but um i yeah. think um you know, and I, I, you know, um, a little while ago, I took, I, I took on an apprentice who, who was a family member and it didn't work out. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't because we didn't, you know, we tried. Um, and would I take on another family member as an apprentice? Yes, I would. Um, but again, yeah, so I think you have to be smart about it. But it's nice to know that, um, you, yeah. you know, in your, in your case, um, you've had a, a really, you know, it's been a good journey with a great friend. <laughs> You know, even Liam studied finance with me at Queen's as well. And, um, you know, we we actually, <laughs> a bit of an interesting story, we, we ran the Queen's Finance Society together. I, I was kind of the president, he was co-chair. And, you know, I suppose that was a good test of it. Uh, I mean, you know, we used to just run great events like SPDRs and, and, you know, pub golf and really that social aspect. But, you know, we loved it. We spent a lot of our final year concentrating on that more so than the exams but uh, that was probably a good test to see how well we could kind of you know work together and what we enjoyed um, but yeah I think it, it does yeah, you can certainly work with them um, the right complement of skills and, and Liam being a chartered accountant is, is very helpful. That's, that's excellent so what so what's um so if you could kind of paint a vision for the next three to five years or maybe, maybe or however yeah I think that's and then maybe we could have you back on in a few years and um, we can just kind of check see, in. See where it's went to. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because even, you know, this stepping stone is uh, you do have that kind of five-year and three-year vision, but I always kind of do things in one year. Um, okay, perfect. What's um, your one-year vision? <laughs> oh, I've already left that out. Yeah, one year, we've, you know, we wanted to be in like 15 plus countries. We're already now in, I think, 25 countries, which is incredible. So for us in the next three years, I think to get you know, into 50 plus countries around the world with incredible partnerships. Um, but not so much the growth of the business, just really the quality growing uh, more and more, the offering growing 
more and more exciting, you know, being able to bring in more and more beautiful distilleries into these racking systems and just to continue doing what we're doing as well. You know, I, I don't think uh, if there's no big, big, massive end goal. Um, yes, we do want to be Ireland's number one independent bottler and bonder, and I think we're very much close to, to there. Um, so to hold that position and to hold that quality is, is going to be very much about the ethos, but it's a similar ethos we had at Ireland Craft Averages. You know, it's it's about staying true to yourself, um, you know, staying true to your ethos, uh, being authentic, and uh, everything that you're bringing to the consumer who's the most important person at the end of this. Um, uh, you know, there's no, I don't think there's any big let's get to, uh, you know, 10 million cans and 10 million bottles. Um, I think we will get to these big numbers at, at the right time. Yeah. But um, for us, it's really about keeping that ethos and keeping the head down and, and, and really working on uh, what we're doing right. That, that's really, really good. Actually, so um, I guess we're, we're probably coming to the end of our our time together. Um, this might be a good segue. A couple of questions. Is there a book you'd recommend? Um, maybe a book that's impacted you. You mentioned you listen to lots of audio and and um, presumably you read as well. Um, is there anything, any book that you'd recommend that's had an impact on you in the in the last five years? That um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, one of the ones that really sticks with me and I think has inspired me even in environmental journey is. Uh, on Chenard from uh, Patagonia that wrote the book uh, Let My People Go Surfing. Um, I think they're way ahead of their time with what they were doing with Patagonia in the 90s. You know, everyone's <clears throat> talking about B Corp. These guys were doing it 20 years ago. Okay. And uh, yeah, Let My People Go Surfing. Shoe Dog's a good read as well. It's a bit more ruthless um, about the night journey. Um, uh, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, what was that? Sorry, you broke up. What was the um, Oh, shoe, shoe dog. Shoe uh, dog, okay. Shoe dog. Uh, okay. The, the journey of Nike um, was very interesting, just about being ruthless. And then the third one that really helped me, probably, you know, in the innovation space was uh, Lean Startup. Um, oh, yeah. It's quite, te- quite technical, but it really, when you're going through that journey of ideas and pivot and stop and start, that was really helpful. So, then three books, you know, out of a lot of others, uh, I think, have really stood, stood by me. Okay, excellent. And if there was a, some parting wisdom that you could leave our listeners, and, and bearing in mind, you know, that we have quite a young uh, demographic of listeners, um, yeah, what, what would you say to, yeah, to the listener, any bit of advice that you could give them? Yeah, I think uh, always listen to that inner voice, you know, and just try and follow, follow your intuition, you know, because the famous saying goes, you know, be yourself because everyone else is taken. Uh, I think that that is very true in business. Oh, that's that's really good. That's really good advice. Um, and uh, I have one more question. Why not? Um, if you were to meet, if you wanted, if you were to have a coffee with somebody, who who would that be? I know he doesn't have the best reputation at the moment, um, but I would love to have a coffee uh, with Elon Musk, mainly because I have. Not because of the person or sort of his achievements, but I'm incredibly fascinated by space travel and uh, astronomy. So I'd love to pick his brain on what he's up to uh, with SpaceX. <laughs> excellent, excellent, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Shane, for your time and graciousness this morning. And um, where do, where can people find you? Where can people? Um, yeah, um, two stacks or two stacks yeah. whiskey. Two stacks whiskey.com, um, gives you an idea. And obviously LinkedIn 
um, quite active on LinkedIn about what we're up to and, and the kind of journey and development. So, um, yeah, if anyone has any questions, please just drop an email at twostackfisting.com um, and, uh, or even just reach out to yourself, James. Uh, you know, you guys are, are quite active as well with, with the podcast space. So I'm sure you pass on any details for anyone has any further questions perfect excellent well th- thanks shane for your time it's been really wonderful to have you on and uh, yeah yes. best of luck for the next three years and it'd be good to maybe loop back with you at that time and yeah yeah all right if you ever if you ever make it over to ireland as well uh, i didn't delve into it but i have been back here last year if you ever taking the bike over around the beautiful mountains of the morn where we're yes. situated please do call in and say hey. yes <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to i'd love to brilliant well, thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod. If you get a moment, we'd love it if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a review. Uh, we love all your messages. It really helps us get exposure to inspire and share more stories with our listeners like our conversation with Shane today. We learned a couple of pearls from Shane. I guess live and work authentically, work hard, and yeah. And, and follow your heart. And I think what Shane had mentioned, if you do have a purpose and your passions are aligned with your work, then, you know, you get that feeling jumping out of bed in the morning, being excited to start the day. So, you know, and we talked a little bit about the transition between, you know, from your paid work to entrepreneurship. It's not easy, but there are huge benefits in, in doing so. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. And a quick thank you to our, our awesome sponsor, Flexi, uh, the single destination for unique subscriptions delivered by independent British brands. Have an amazing week ahead and we'll see you next time.